as you're getting your Bibles open. If you don't have one, you can grab one, and there should be one there in the pews there or the, the chairs there in front of you. Um, but we're going to be in Romans 4, starting in verse 9 this morning. Uh, and as you're turning there, um, I wanted to read to you briefly, um, and some of you hopefully have read this. Uh, Craig mentioned this last week, but the, the resources we have on the end tables here as you exit through the kids' wing or through the lobby, um, this, this month looks like this, called Table Talk, and Craig alluded to it last week, and I don't use it every day. Um, I use some other things, but it is really good to use from time to time, and I thought it was really neat that this weekend's uh, June 8th and 9th, they do one devotion on the weekend uh, for both Saturday and Sunday, and I thought it was really neat that this one actually pertained to exactly what we've been going through in our series in Romans, um, and also as Paul has been reflecting back on and using Abraham as an example. So I'm going to read this to you. It's real short. Um, it says, after Memorial Day, my thoughts turns towards the coast. Um, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of you. For as long as I can remember, my family went to the beach in the summer. With three brothers, our vacations were never fancy, but they were full of countless hours beneath the hot Carolina sun and the cool waters of the Atlantic. When I became a Christian, sand took on a new meaning for me after I read Genesis 22:17. The beach now also reminds me of Abraham. The promise of Genesis 22:17 is that Abraham's offspring will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. In other words, Abraham's family would be too numerous to count. Yet when he died, he had nothing close to this kind of family. Nevertheless, he trusted God to fulfill his word. Before moving on too quickly, we must pause and recognize that the scope of God's promise to Abraham is nothing short of breathtaking. It invites us to believe that God is generous. He does not withhold his best from his children. He makes extravagant promises to them because he loves them. Nowhere is the extravagance of God made more plain in the scriptures than Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What strained the eyes of Abraham's faith is now revealed with high-definition clarity in the cross of Christ. God keeps his extravagant promise through the painful gore of the bloody tree. There simply is no greater demonstration of his lavish and undeserved love than this. Therefore, only an extraordinary God can make extravagant promises that are believable. If we are, if we are Christians, we are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And yet we still walk by faith, not by sight. We still wonder whether all that God has promised us in the gospel will come to pass. Therefore, he bids us come and read. In his word, he recounts the story of Abraham to us. He shows us a very ordinary man who was granted extravagant promises by an extraordinary God. The same God, the same faith, and a completed word, which gives us an advantage Abraham did not enjoy, are all available to us today. This is why Abraham is held out to us as a model of faith. The same faith that carried him through decades of waiting for even the beginning of the fulfillment of the premise that got the promise that God made to him will carry us through the days and seasons of our lives. So the next time you're at the beach, grab a handful of sand. 
and then let it sprinkle from your fist and see in the windswept particles an extravagant promise, a bloody cross, and an extraordinary God. I love that, and I think it goes so well with what um, Libby shared this morning, is that he loves you so much, and that when you think about his love, and you think about his promises, it's literally hard to, to believe and hard to fathom at times. And we go through seasons like Libby talked about where those promises are, are not easy to believe. And we doubt ourselves and we doubt God. And yet Abraham, who we've been talking about in Romans the last couple of weeks, all these promises that he was given, he never got close to seeing. And a lot of times I think that we believe, we read passages of Scripture like we read the last couple of weeks in Romans, that the promises that were given, the the hope and the joy that we'll see those things tomorrow. Like we'll wake up and the day is new and we'll see it. It's brand new and God's given it to us. And sometimes that happens. And that's fantastic. But many times it's not even about our lifetime. Just like with Abraham, it wasn't necessarily what he saw come to fruition. He was dead and and long gone and, and in heaven before the things that God promised would really come to fruition. So think about that in light of the things you're going through. And I'll just kind of piggyback on what Libby was saying, is that what you're going through, is is, it's not wasted. It's for a purpose. That purpose is for bringing God glory, and it might be in your circumstances, but it might be down the road, somewhere where you don't even get a chance to see it, Um, just like we see with Abraham this morning. And so really the last three or four weeks in this series, we've talked about this idea of, of justification by faith. And hopefully we're getting a grasp of that. And we don't usually in a sermon series get to talk about the same doctrine for three or four weeks in a row. And yet Romans gives us that opportunity. And I don't want to waste that opportunity. And so that's what we've been talking about. And it's, it's so crucial that we understand this, that, that the, the group that Paul was writing to this letter, the, the church in Rome, that they understood it because it is the, it's the foundation of our relationship with Christ. If we don't understand justification by faith, then we're going to spend our lives working to earn salvation or to earn righteousness. And so we have to understand that our very best works are worthless to God. And yet God, through his sacrifice of his own son that we just read about in that devotional, paid our debt that we owe because of our sin. So the only reason anybody can be forgiven, the only reason anybody can stand righteous in God's eyes is by faith, by placing their faith in Jesus. Our hope and our faith rest on Christ alone. We were just singing about that. I I love that song because he is the only one that could ever pay our debt. This past week I read a great story that is a great illustration of, of that truth, and I thought I'd share that story with you. It's short. The story is told of a, a poor farmer who had saved his money for years in order to buy an ox to pull its plow. And when he thought he had saved enough money, he traveled a great distance to the nearest town to shop for an ox. He soon discovered, however, that the paper money he had been saving had been replaced by a new currency and that the date for exchange from the old to the new had long passed. Because he was illiterate, the man asked the neighbor schoolboy to write a letter to the president of their country explaining this dire situation and asking for an exemption. 
The president was touched by the letter and wrote back to the farmer, quote, the law must be followed because the deadline for exchanging bills has already passed. The government can no longer change your bills for the new ones. Even the president is not exempt from this rule. However, the president continued, because I believe that you really worked hard to save this money, I am changing your money for new money from my own personal funds so that you will be able to buy your ox. And what a great illustration to show that our works, they offer no value to God. We're bringing old currency. It's of no good. Yet God himself paid our debt out of his own personal funds. It was his own son, the only one that could pay our debt. He said, I'm going to take my own funds, in this case, even more rich than any type of money, my only perfect son, and I'm going to pay for your old bills that are no longer any good, and I'm going to send him to the cross to die for your sin. It's an amazing way to think about that, that God has paved the way for us in, in a way that we couldn't do it. I mean, if, if, if the president here follows the law by the letter of the law, that farmer is not getting his odds. There's just no way around it. Even the president was under the law. And this man would have just kind of been out of luck. We're glad you saved your money, but too bad your money's no longer any good. And sometimes I think we believe our money is good, not our actual money, but our good works. The things we can invest back into God and we say, God, look what I've given to you. And look all I've done for you. And it's, he said, you know what, that, that currency is not good because you're sinful. You only can have one thing that is good, and that is Jesus and believing him in him by faith. So I want to go ahead and get into the scripture. We're going to read kind of the middle chunk of chapter 4, and then next week we're going to actually close out um, uh, chapter 4 as we get, in, get into that. So chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse uh, 9, and we're going to read through 17. So you can follow along with your Bible, or you can follow along uh, up on the screen. <clears throat> this is Paul talking. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised but who also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, 
who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and who calls into existence the things that do not exist. I want to break this passage down really kind of simply today with, with three words. To me, this was a helpful to break it down. Three words. Number one, we're going to look at faith, verses 9 through 12. Number two, the promise, verses 13 to 15. And number three, grace, verses 16 to 17. And I think this passage is a, is a neat passage because of the way Paul is not only offering a, a summary of what we've talked about the last two or three weeks, but he's also adding some additional depth to this doctrine that he's teaching, this doctrine of salvation by faith alone. So we look at the very first one here, faith, focusing on verses 9 through 12 and specifically starting with verses 9 and 10. Look at what he says. and he, Again, he's speaking to a lot of the Jews in the Roman church. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? That means the Jews. Or also for the uncircumcised, meaning everybody, the Gentiles. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And then, he, and then Paul asked this question, this kind of rhetorical question. Well, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or was it after he had been circumcised? And then as Paul has been doing the last few weeks, he answers his own question. He's just asking questions so he can kind of organize his thoughts and organize his point. And he goes, no, it wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. So he's driving home this point. First of all, there's no difference between circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew, Gentile, whatever. There's no difference. Okay, first of all, that's the very first thing he's saying. And then to drive that point home, Paul, what he does is he builds a timeline of, of Abraham's life from the facts that we have from the Old Testament. Remember last week I talked about how what Paul's doing here is he's, he's teaching and he's preaching, but he's doing it from the Old Testament. He's doing it from the book of Genesis. So while we believe so passionately that we need to be preaching and teaching the Word of God is because that's what Paul did. That's what Peter did. They didn't just randomly come up with some ideas. Guys have been praying, God gave me this great idea, let me share it with you. No, they went back to the Old Testament Scripture and preached that. And so we preach now the Old Testament, and as the devotion I shared earlier says, we have an advantage Abraham didn't have. We have the whole thing. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have the whole thing. Abraham didn't have that. We have an advantage in that, and so we need to, to, to cherish that and, and value that. But I want to show you the timeline that he builds in just two or three verses and where it comes from. I don't have the time to elaborate on it this morning, but I want you to notice in this timeline how old was Abraham when these events happened. And this is what Paul's building. He's almost standing before a court as a lawyer. He's making his case. He said, was it before or was it after that, that Abraham was given the blessing? Was it before he was circumcised or after? Because you guys are believing so much in circumcision, the Jews. Let's see, was it before or was it after? And so he builds this case. And so the very first part of that case is there was a covenant promise made. In Genesis 12, 1 through 4, we've talked about this a couple of times. And I want you to see that at, when, at this point, Abraham was 75 years old relatively, by their standards, a young man, okay? And this is what he says, in, in, or what Genesis 12 says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. There is the covenant promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old. Then the second part of his timeline is where Abraham was counted as righteous. We've read this verse several times. Paul's repeated it several times. Genesis 15, 6. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Okay? So he does that, and that was, we see Genesis 12. Then we go to Genesis 15. Number 3, we come to Genesis 16. And then we talked about this last week, but Ishmael was born. Remember, Ishmael was the, the son that was born to Abraham uh, from his affair with Hagar, who Sarah said, why don't you go sleep with my maid? That way we will have a son that God can bring forth this promise. And we know this is a bad idea, and it backfired in a thousand ways. But in Genesis 16, 16, it says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Okay? So he was 75 when we first hear about the, the covenant promise. Then we read in Genesis 15 that he was counted as righteous. So he was between 75 and 86. Then we know when Ishmael was born, he was 86. And then finally, we keep moving to this timeline that Paul's building. Finally, the point here in number four, Abraham finally, at the end of this, was circumcised. And he was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Look what it says in Genesis 17. Then Abram took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Okay, so we get Ishmael's age, and we also get Abraham's age. And so why is all this important? So if you go back to the text in Romans 4, where we are today, where Paul's making it clear that Abraham not only believed by faith in God before he was circumcised, but Abraham was counted as righteous before he was circumcised. If you notice, every single one of those events, the covenant was made, the promise was made, Abraham believed, God counted as righteous, and all of that is before the age of 99 when, when Paul was, I mean, when Paul says that Abraham was circumcised. So Paul's point is, 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 the, the, is the salvation, is the justification found in circumcision? Nope, because Paul was justified, or Abraham was justified way before that. We think about 14 years, roughly, before that. And that's why Paul says this in verse 11. I read it earlier. It says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. When? While he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness could be counted to them as well. What he's driving home here is something we've kind of talked about off and on the last couple of weeks is that circumcision in this case was a sign. It was an outward symbol of the righteousness God 
and given to Abraham by faith. It was Abraham's faith and his belief in God that was counted to him as righteousness. The circumcision was definitely a part of it, but it came several years later as a sign and as a seal of the righteousness that he received by faith. So in other words, Paul's driving home this point that the circumcision, the act of circumcision, did nothing for Abraham's spiritual life because all of it had already been done, right? It was just an outward representation of his faith. And so you put that in modern-day terms now. We put that in modern-day terms, and I want to group that with two things I've talked about before, and that is baptism, which is super important, and taking communion, which is super important. Those two things are signs and seals that happen on the outside of our body that we partake in that signify what's already happened in the inside, on the inside where our heart is, where there's already been a change to occur. And so when you think about baptism, things like taking communion, there is nothing magical that when you take communion, oh, now you're a believer. Uh, you go get baptized, now you're a believer. That's not how it works. Just like it wasn't for Abraham when he went and got circumcised, oh, now you're credited as righteous, Abraham, because you got circumcised. It's not how it worked. He was credited as righteous before the circumcision. Just as a believer in Christ is credited as righteous before he's ever baptized, before she ever takes communion. Yes, do we do those things? Yes. Are those things super important? Yes. Are they outward signs and seals of the Holy Spirit? Yes, yes, and yes. But in and of themselves, they carry no weight because the weight comes back to the one doctrine that Paul keeps preaching here. The weight is on the justification by faith alone in Christ alone. I'm super excited about the baptism we got coming up in July. I can't, I mean, there's nothing more exciting than baptism. Because what that is, somebody saying is, I have believed in my heart that Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I want the world and whoever's around, my church, my family, to know that, and therefore I'm going to follow through by being baptized. When they come out of that water, they are a new person. But guess what? They're a new person already because they believe in Jesus. Now they're just showing it to you. They're showing you their heart inside by going into the waters of baptism on the outside. Same thing with communion, same thing with the, the Old Testament and, and circumcision. It really boils down to this, and, and it's said really well in Deuteronomy 36. We're not going to read a lot in Deuteronomy today, but it really comes down to the heart. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. We have to understand the very first and foremost point that Paul's making. It's about our faith, the belief in our heart that matters. And that faith in God is the only means to justification and salvation. We've got the faith, number one, and then we see the promise in verses 13, 14, and 15. I've read this earlier. Let me read it again. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith for it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs faith is null and the promise is void for the law brings wrath but where there is no law there is no transgression 
Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that the promise to Abraham was a blessing to all people, not just the circumcised, not just the Jews, that the promise came through righteousness by faith, not from the law. The law is never, even in Abraham's day, even in our day, the law cannot offer salvation. The law simply demonstrates God's standard is here, is perfection, and how short we fall is way down here. And that standard that we never can meet. And then so subsequently, what we read there is the very first part of 15, for the law brings wrath. People don't like to talk about that part, but if God's given us the law, then God's also given us his wrath because we can't meet the law. Because God is holy and he is perfect, and without the blood of Jesus covering us, that wrath awaits us because we deserve it. Paul said it this way, we'll get to it in a, in a few weeks, in Romans 7, I love the way he says this, he says, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. The law exposes us, exposes our sinful state, and it exposes our need for forgiveness and cleansing that only can be provided through God, through His Son, Jesus. So we know the promise, number two, did not come through the law, but came through faith. And Abraham's faith, we talked about it last week, it wasn't perfect. He had a, a bunch of junk, right? I mean, he, he lied, and, and he led his wife to lie, and he, he goes and he sleeps with his wife's uh, maid, and, and just, I mean, he, he messed up. He had a lot of sin. It was not perfect. But it was very, very strong and steadfast faith. It was so strong that Abraham was willing, if you remember this story, to offer up his own son Isaac as a sacrifice. And Isaac was the offspring that he was promised that the blessings and the, the great uh, covenant promise would come through. Can you imagine that? Like, you're given that gift. It's kind of like Libby was talking about this morning. You, the, the, the one thing you've prayed about, the one thing that you wanted the most, that your heart's desire, God's promised it to you, and then you receive it, and then he asks you, you know what? It's not yours anymore. And he asked, he asked Abraham to take the one thing he promised, the one thing he wanted the most, in his own offspring in Isaac, his, his only son through Sarah, and to offer him as a sacrifice. And y'all probably are familiar with the story, but if you look at uh, the way the author of Hebrews sums it up, look what he says. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, and I would say that's an understatement, he was tested, all right, offered up Isaac. And he, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed. Abraham's faith was life-changing as it led him to strive 
to be obedient to God in all things. It says he was in the act. Y'all familiar with that, right? He's wrapped his son up on the altar, and he's got the machete out. I mean, he's in the act of offering his son as a sacrifice, something that in our culture and in the way we deal with like we can't even imagine that. We can think what that would feel like. We have no idea what that would feel like. We would never get to that point. I mean, I know that I, I would. My faith would not allow me to get to that point. And yet he was in the act of taking his son's life. That's how far he got. And we know that then God provides and, and Isaac lives. And, and through Isaac's line, just as it had, had been said, comes this incredible blessing. But see, Abraham said, you know what? Even if I take his life, God, you're big enough to bring him back from the dead. Do we have that kind of faith where, God, you said this. It makes no sense to me. I have, I have no idea what you're doing in my life, but I'm going to follow through because you can even bring my son back from the dead. I mean, that's, that's some incredible faith. Sometimes we don't have that faith when it comes to just the small things in life. You know, maybe a small decision or, or maybe it's a large decision. Maybe it's a decision at home or a decision with relationships or a decision with jobs or schools. And, and, and we're like, oh, if I, if I do that, then I won't, I won't have this. He was going to take his son's life, his only son, through Sarah. Our faith can be pushed, and it should be pushed. So we've seen, number one, Abram's faith to believe. Number two, God's promise, which leads us to number three, and that is God's grace. Maybe the most beautiful part of this text. Romans 4, 16 and 17, he says, That is why... It depends on faith, number one, in order that the promise, number two, may rest on grace, number three, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom you believe who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I want you to see verse 16 again. Super, super important. Here's a, a summary verse. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to his offspring, not only to those that are adhering or following the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's the father of Saul. Number one, it depends on faith. Number two, that the promise may rest on grace. Think about it like this, that grace is the engine that brings justification. All three of these things are tied together. I told you we use three words. We use faith and we use promise. Those things are huge in this text. But grace is the engine that drives us to justification. And we understand that these three words are tied together in verse 16. Faith is the foundation. It's a faith in God's promise. And God's promise rests on grace. Which then, if you keep reading verse 16, brings about a guarantee to all his offspring. Physical, the Jews, meaning the circumcised, and also the spiritual, including the Gentiles, including all people. And what Paul quotes there in, in verse 17 is, is uh, Genesis 17.5. You can go back and read that. And he, and he <clears throat> reminds us that faith in the promise is important, 
but it's, it's, it's in the one true God in whom Abraham believed where the power comes from. So the one and only God that Abraham believed in, that is the same God who gives, as he said here, gives life to the dead, who calls into existence the things that do not exist. He's talking about creation, like there was nothing and then there was something. It's that God who Abraham believed in. And it's this God and this God alone who I would tell you today is the ultimate promise maker and he's also the ultimate promise keeper. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteous, but it wasn't because Abraham's faith was perfect. It was because the object of his faith was, is, and will always be perfect and cannot fail. The object of this faith is what makes this text and God's word and even our personal faith so strong. It's not a measure of your faith versus mine or your faith versus whoever. It's a measure of the object of our faith. Who are we putting our faith in? That is where the power comes from, and it comes from the grace that we've received from God. And so as, as we leave today and I ask the band to come up and we're going to close, I would just challenge you with this idea that we can take so much hope and so much joy that our faith may at times waver. I think, and Libby, I thank you for being real and being authentic, that I think we've, we may not have experienced what Libby's gone through, but all of us have experienced some really bad days and bad seasons and dark seasons, and our faith will waver. If you haven't experienced that, you will. I can guarantee you will. And it's not fun, and it brings on a, a spiral, as Libby was talking about, and it can be, it can play out in a lot of different ways. Play out in depression. It can play out in isolation. It can play out in anger. It can play out in, in tons of physical and mental and emotional ways. But whatever it plays out in, let me just tell you this, not based on your faith, because your faith will waver, but your Savior cannot, and he will not fail. Take great hope in that. It doesn't come down to your faith, thank goodness. Because if it did, I wouldn't be in a good boat. Libby would not be in a good boat. All of us would not be in a good boat. But our Savior cannot fail. Lord, thank you so much that you do not fail. You cannot fail. I thank you for the story that, that, that Libby shared about her life. And Lord, what a perfect example of what it means when we hit a spiral. And Lord, that, everybody in this room has probably experienced a spiral just like she described. And a lot of us aren't willing to talk about it, and that's okay. A lot of us aren't willing to share that, and that's okay. But Lord, that's a reality for, for human nature. That's a reality for us as believers. And Lord, there's probably people in this room right now that are spiraling. They're in the midst of that spiral right now. And Lord, let me just pray over those people specifically that they would not look to the strength of their faith in you to bring them through this time, but they would look to the strength of you alone. That it's not the strength of their faith, that it's the strength of you who was and is and will always be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the Savior of this world. And when we look to you, it doesn't matter how big or small our faith may be, but Lord, that you would bring comfort and hope and joy as sometimes circumstances in our lives they get out of control they get out of hand and it feels like nothing is in order i pray that your spirit 
would be heavy on them this morning. I pray your spirit would be heavy on their home, uh, their place of work, the, their, their, maybe their commute to work, their relationships. Lord, I just sense that you are wanting to bring hope and joy and peace and grace and comfort to their lives. And Lord, Satan's trying to steal it away. He's trying to play the guilt game saying, oh, your faith's not strong. Your faith is meaningless. God doesn't honor your faith. God, let them know that you do. Because Abraham's faith failed and failed and failed, and yet you honored his faith. We don't have to be perfect. We, that's, that's already gone out the window from the day we come into this world. We are born into iniquity. But Lord, your grace that we read about in verse 16 guarantees us that we can be made righteous. Not because of us, but because of what your son did, Jesus, on the cross. Give us joy. Give us peace this week. Whether our circumstances are good or bad or in between, let us rest in you, not rest in our own strength or in our own faith. 